Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's 12, 12 in your black pew Bible. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Title our message, When Unbelief is Good. No. Just as we can tell the children of God from the children of devil by their deeds, we've been talking about that, right? That commandment test in 1 John. Just as we can tell the children of God from the children of the devil by their love, right? That companion test, do we love the brothers? So also we can discern the children of God from the children of the devil by what they confess or believe about Christ. That's the third test, right? That theology test. And we've come full circle and we've back at that test again today that's what John has been doing coming back to those three tests because he wants the believers in Ephesus to have assurance of their salvation so if I told you that unbelief was good you would be right to take pause I mean faith is essential to our spiritual lives we walk by faith we live by faith we're saved by grace through faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus but there are some there were some there in the first century in Ephesus and there are some today that are peddling error they're peddling non-truth these erroneous teachers we must not embrace we must not believe what they're teaching and so that jumping right in that's our first point from our text 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 through 6 false prophets false teachers are many John has said that he starts off beloved that's his term of endearment for this church right he's the apostle of love but he loves deeply he was loved deeply by the Lord Jesus and so he in turn is loving this congregation he calls him dear beloved children dear children beloved a term of endearment he says don't believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. What he's wanting the church to do is to be firm and to be stout in their faith and not to be naive or gullible. Not everyone who says they're speaking truth is doing so. And so how this ties in for last week, chapter 3, verse 23, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells these Believers to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. But now, he tells us not to believe everything we hear about Christ. If you think about it, mankind, we're 
we're spiritual creatures. We have this inward desire to worship something, even if it's ourselves. That's just how we are. We'll either worship the true God of the Bible or we'll, we'll, we'll worship the gods of our imagination. The doctrines and religions of our day, you think about it, they continue to diversify and grow. We want some sort of worship that is consistent with our personal cravings. We, speaking about people of the world, right? And what does the devil do? He provides a teacher and doctrine to accommodate man's desires. So discernment is, is important because Satan and his forces are at work in the world. When we think about it from the day that Satan deceived Eve in the garden until the last days when the final Antichrist will deceive the world, and you can read about that in 2 Thessalonians 2. Evil spirits, they have promoted false teachings to lead people away from the living and true God. So there's a need, there's a need in the first century for the church to have spiritual skepticism, just as there's a need for us today to have do some doctrinal detective work. We need to be careful. Just because someone preaches or teaches using holding up a Bible or even speaks of Jesus, that doesn't mean he's speaking for God. In fact, the false teachers that had came out of this church in Ephesus preached about the Spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Preached about Jesus, but it's not the biblical Jesus. And they preached about a gospel, but it's not the gospel. In fact, some who are of a different spirit, preaching a different gospel and teaching about a different Jesus, may even be able to do miracles. Matthew 24, speaking about the last days, for Jesus says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So you can imagine, you hear someone teaching something, it sounds a little fishy, right? Red flags going up. Some things they're saying are a little suspect. And, but they're doing things that no human could do. You can understand how people be tempted to believe and follow what they're saying. I mean, they might say, the man can do miracles. He must be of God. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that the Antichrist in the last days will do the same. He'll do things that no human could do, and people will go after him and his ways. So John is warning the church, and we need to be warned. There are deceiving spirits that are motivating false teachers. The Bible talks about these evil spirits. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So John is warning these believers, and we are warned also. In fact, he's already warned us. Chapter 2, John has told that many antichrists have come. We see warnings from Jesus. We see warnings from Paul. Peter as well. We read... Something from Peter in just a moment. Jude warns us. In fact, all the way back to the Old Testament, we're warned about false teachers. And 
the, the law in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 through 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. If I say it, if it, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You do not need to be afraid of him. And so even back as far as the Old Testament, we have warnings about false prophets and false teachers. Well, what is a false prophet? Well, we look at Scripture, we see that they're very earnest. They appear to be genuine. Paul, he even warned that these men disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. I mean, think about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan even disguised himself as an angel of light. Disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't appear as an angel of darkness, but no, he, he's deceptive. But these false prophets are very earnest. You ever got a knock at the door? Somebody wearing a white shirt and a tie? Or you might have somebody knock on the door and they're from Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Society. These people are very earnest. They're very serious. And they appear to be genuine. They believe what they're peddling. So they're very earnest, false prophets are. Second thing is they're very cunning. They're very dangerous. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious, ravenous wolves. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. All the New Testament writers, they, they warn us about false teachers. And so we're here in 1 John, once again, being warned. These false prophets are very earnest. They appear very genuine, but they're very deceiving. They're very cunning. They're very dangerous. And, and lastly, false teachers... When it comes to Jesus, they're just wrong. They believe wrongly about Christ. We see here in verse 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So John gives them a little test to determine who's a false teacher and who isn't. It's a litmus test, a one-size-fits-all exam by which we can try every spirit. You ask them if Jesus, in, in this context, did Jesus have a body? Do they think Jesus came in the flesh? Now you think about these false teachers, these Gnostics. If you remember, their, their error... Their erroneous thinking had to do with Jesus. Did he have a body? They thought, yeah, he's, he's the highest emanation of God. But certainly he didn't have a body like we do. Because all the physical things, remember, they thought they were evil. Well, he can't have a body because anything that's in the flesh is going to be wicked, going to be evil. 
So John gives them straightforward test. Tell me, who is Jesus? Did he have a body? Was he a man? Well, today, if we think about that, the false teachers, they diversified a bit, right? They don't outright deny Jesus' existence. It's been said that a half a truth is more dangerous than a lie, right? Those who modify truth, they, they do more damage than those who deny it outright. They do more damage to truth than those who deny it. The Gnostics might not deny that Jesus is God, but they were denying that he was fully human. So it might do well to ask when someone says they believe in Jesus, you might say, well, which Jesus do you embrace? The biblical Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on 1 John, he writes, what one thinks about Jesus has enormous consequences. In a real sense, it determines everything. Tell me what you think about Jesus, and I will tell you 95% of the rest of your theology. He is the center, the hub of all theology. All of it radiates out from him. John Calvin, on the same topic, he writes, Yet he only repeats here what we have met with before, that is Christ is the object of which faith aims. So he is the stone at which all heretics stumble. As long then as we abide in Christ, there is safety. But when we depart from him, faith is lost, and all truth is rendered void. John Newton, he's the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Well, he was also a poet, and he wrote a poem called What, ye, what Think Ye of Christ? And the first stanza says this, What think you of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme you cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. So Jesus is the defining factor regarding truth. What one does with Jesus reveals their spiritual condition and standing with the Lord. So if we, can, if we affirm that Christ came in the flesh, he was born of a virgin, he died for the sin of humanity, he rose again victorious on the third day, our doctrine is consistent with God's inspired word. If we believe that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, came to earth as a man, there was a genuine and permanent wedding of deity and humanity in the person of Christ, and because of that, he is able to make atonement for sinners. That is consistent with the Word of God. See, spirituality or having faith doesn't mean that we believe anything and everything, but we believe something specific, something factual, something biblical. But many teachers had gone out from the church of Ephesus and they were teaching falsely. And that happens today. We need to be discerning. So in our context, what might we ask if someone is talking about Christ and red flags go up, alarm bells go off, something doesn't really sit well with us, we might ask, do you believe Jesus is God? Is Jesus the only way to have a relationship with the Father? Is Jesus both fully God and fully man? Is Jesus eternally God? These questions might tell you a lot about their Christology. Their Christology tells you a lot about their theology. 
Look in verse 4. But there's a contrast here, and John's great about that, isn't he? He, does, he has these compare and contrast, light and darkness, good and evil. Again, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He says, you're from God. James, he says, you're from God. You have the Spirit of God. See, being discerning isn't about being smart. It isn't just an intellectual matter. It's a spiritual one. There's people who have a Ph.D. in this, that, and the other, and they're influences, influencers in our culture, in our society. But they teach Christ wrongly, so they're leading people astray. But we as the church, we haven't been hoodwinked. We haven't been swayed. We've, there's been attempts made to deceive us, but yet we hold fast to the truths of the gospel, to biblical truth. We have the Holy Spirit living in us that helps us discern truth from error, and this should give us confidence. Smart people, intelligent people are everywhere teaching this, that, and the other. But we have the spirit of truth in us. So we shouldn't be intimidated by false teachers. We should be encouraged. We not only have come to understand who the biblical Christ is, but we've yielded to him in obedience. In John chapter 8, Jesus' words, Why do you not understand what I say? Speaking to a crowd, It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. That's a good statement there, isn't it? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. I preach week in and week out. We, do, we, we teach through books of the Bible, just expository preaching. And I see you week in and week out. And for most of us, many of us, I'm getting head nods and I'm getting a occasional, yeah, I'm with you, I understand, I agree, and yep, yep, yep. I can identify with you, right? Why? Because we're of God and we hear the words of God and we can affirm, yes, this is true. But there are some people, the reason you don't hear is that you're not of God. We are overcomers. The world preaches and teaches a lot, a lot of lies, a lot of garbage. But by the grace of God, we've heard the truth and we've embraced it. And we're overcomers. And we continue to be overcomers because we have the Spirit living in us. The church of God will continue to stand. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We stand on the Word and we have the Spirit. Peter's words, I mean, Jesus' words to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have the Spirit of God. We understand God's Word, and so we will persevere, and the church will continue to stand. So when confronted with heresy, with false teaching, and if you, you talk to people enough, co-workers, Classmates, neighbors, 
It's a lot of wacky things being said about Jesus. You think, oh, yeah, we're in the Bible Belt, we're around all these people when we grow up going to church, blah, blah, blah. But you, you start asking them about Jesus and what they think about Christ, you'll come up with all kind of nonsense, unbiblical things being said about our Lord. When confronted with false teaching, remind yourselves, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You think, man, you're talking a lot about the devil and a lot about spooky stuff, right? These evil spirits and it's in the scriptures. There's something behind all the false teaching. The enemy has a game plan and he's trying to work it out. But we, those who are part of the kingdom of God, we know the truth and we have his spirit living in us. So we need to be encouraged. Look at verse 5. They're from the world, those outside the church, right? Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Isn't it amazing? The world, it'll latch on and embrace any and all types of teaching, unless it's the Word of God. So we don't need to be surprised when the world accepts this Antichrist message because the truth is, truth is, when worldly people get together, truth is the first casualty. You know? The world embraces any and everything. But you start talking about Jesus, the God-man, who became a, the Savior of of the world by dying on the cross and rising on the third day and you'll get you won't get applause that's for sure and in fact it's the world we expect right but you have to be careful and John is writing these words to the church so we have to be careful in our churches and I was reminded about that when Jenny, a couple years ago, she took a trip. She took a couple of the girls with her parents to go to Maine, and they seemed like they loved going there, and so Jenny and a couple of the kids went with them, and they went to church on a Sunday because that's what we do. We worship day. We go to church, and they went to a little Methodist church, and the unbeknownst to them, the pastor was a homosexual, and his partner was there in the congregation. Amazing. They had embraced the old homosexual agenda. Not just they embraced it, but they were endorsing it. Jenny had a conversation with the pastor. She can tell you about that conversation. Um, you know, Jenny, she's loving, very lovingly, but she had a conversation with the pastor. Buddy, this ain't right. You're wrong, right? Yeah. False teachers are many, right? They're many. Second thing we see from our text in verse 6 is that real teachers, real prophets teach the Bible. And again, verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, the we and the us. I think they're, we and, they're one and the same. We are from God, right? He's already said that. We, the church, right? Those of us who embrace Christ rightly, trust Christ, crucified and resurrected, Right? We're of God. But here he's talking about who? Who's the us? You think? It's the apostles, right? Flip, flip back over to chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. 
kind of remind us. This is John, the beloved disciple. Now, he was one of the favorites, you know? He was one of the favorites. That's pretty important. When Jesus goes to hard places and he wants something, we want people to see something um, seen, something special, something important, who does he have with him? You remember? Who were the three? Peter, James, and John. Yeah, John's one of those guys. He's the one that was, that was reclining on Jesus in the Last Supper. This is what John says. Look at 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, we have heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the apostle who was with Jesus, and so what he's doing, he's passing these words on to the church. And so he says in verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those who know God listen to those who were with Jesus. And we have the apostles' words, right? Those who know God listen to the apostles. The apostles were Christ's spokespersons. The one who is from God listens to God's words. So just by way of application, number one, are you familiar with God's words, with the apostles' teachings? That's really, really important. We talk a lot about that. And I'm, I'm so glad you came to church. This is real important. It's worship day. We should be, if we're believers, we should be in church. We should worship. Because we pray together, we, we use our gifts, right? We, we sing true songs, we, we study. This is real important. This is what we do on a Sunday, worship day. Whether you're here, you go out of town, if you don't go to church, you, you listen to us. we got this Facebook Live thing going. There's people right now that are homebound, they're listening to us, joining in. Yeah, we go to church, we worship. It's really, really important. But church, we, we've got to study the Bible. We study on our own. We study, we read it. We should know it. So the question is, do you know God's Word? You've heard this before, that the law enforcement, those who work uh, in the area of counterfeiting, you've heard this before, right? Those law enforcement, they're looking at money and they're trying to determine if it's real or not. How do they do their training? They don't do their training by studying all the false ways to make counterfeit money and all the, the counterfeits. No, they, they study in detail the genuine thing. And then it's just easy to compare. So when we hear false teaching, we hear things that, are, that aren't right, there's red flags come up. We don't embrace and, and any and every teaching. No, we... We, ch we check, is that biblical, is it not? But we ought to know the, the, the word, right? That's number one. Number two, 
if confronted with some teaching that you're not sure if it's biblical, kind of, you take pause and kind of make you scratch your head, then ask these four questions. Does it exalt Christ? What does it say about Jesus? Does it exalt Christ as the God-man? Both God, deity, and man. What does it say about Jesus? Does the teaching exalt Christ and put him in his rightful place? Secondly, does its plausibility rest in its popularity? In other words, is the world embracing it? Well, I gotta, that's got to be right because everybody's embracing that. Now, that's a surefire way to know that maybe that's not biblical because the world, more times than not, they don't embrace truth readily. Is its plausibility rest in its popularity? Third, does it conform to apostolic teachings in the Word? Is it biblical? And you'll, you'll find people say, well, you know, that was back in the day. That was, you know, a long time ago. And when they start doing that, you have to whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Wait a minute. And fourthly, does it cause me to hate sin? Does it encourage you to embrace sin or does it encourage you to hate it and run from it? Yes, sir pretty good little litmus test there does it cause me to hate the things that God hates if not run for the hills right? and thirdly just by way of application the apostles that taught that Christ died so that sinners could be reconciled to the father and Maybe you're here and you're kind of in that, that crowd, that group that's juxtaposed to the church. Jesus says, John says, we're the people of God. You're from God. Well, maybe you're in the group that's in the world. You're not from God because you've yet to embrace Christ and, his, and what he's done for for sinners on the cross. You've yet to say that, that Jesus did that for me. Jesus died on the cross and he paid my sin debt and he rose on the, on the third day so that I could be justified. Maybe you're yet to do that. By way of application, I'll just say repent. Turn from living for yourself and trust Christ and the work he did on the cross for you. Repent. Trust Christ. Be forgiven. Be reconciled to the Father. There's no way you can be reconciled to a holy, righteous God who knows everything, who sees everything, who knows every motive, sees all your sin. There's no way we can be reconciled to Him apart from Christ, embracing Jesus, the crucified, risen Savior. That's it. We'll pick up here next week, verse 7. May God's grace be with you. May we apply His Word, staying on the promises of Scripture, and 
we point out error when we have opportunity to. Because most likely you'll have opportunity to. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing. I'm a, of course, I'm a pastor. Kind of people expect me to preach to them. I mean, there's sometimes like when, when salesmen come by or something, I say, look, man, I'm a preacher. Let me preach at you just a second. And, you know, they're not like, oh, like, okay, you're a preacher. I just kind of expect that, right? I know that's different for you. But you know what I found is when there's times when I'm saying, Lord, use me today. Give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And usually when I ask that question, I'm looking. I'm more, I'm more looking for those opportunities. Not always. It's not always, but more times than not, I have opportunities to share the gospel. And there's people in, in the world who've embraced false teaching. And they don't know the Lord. So let's ask and look for opportunities this week to share the truth. We, we, we know the truth. We're one of the elect, the special chosen ones. Do you know that most people are going to hell? Do you know that? That's biblical. Jesus taught about the wide road that leads to destruction. Destruction means hell. It's wide, the gate's large, and many enter it, but the narrow way, it's narrow, and the gate is really small, and few enter it. Yeah, we need to share the gospel. God uses the gospel. That's the only way he saves people. The only way he saves people. Well, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to work real hard, and I'm going to work real hard. That's awesome. If you're a Christian, you ought to work hard. You ought to earn your money. But that lost person's not going to get saved unless he hears the gospel, repent and believe, right? So let's be faithful to do that. Isn't it awesome? He that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Yeah. And because of that, we have assurance. Right? We should be encouraged. Let's stand and let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. May God's grace be with you all in abundance. May we obey him, be the church that God wants us to be. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Wednesday night, we have Bible study for everybody. If you don't have anything going on, you want to come. You don't have to cook supper. Just come here. We have a missions meal. If you're a visitor and it's the first time here, I'll buy you supper. Right After that, for adults, it's $5. We send that money to Pastor Nicka, who we talked about this morning, and the work they're doing there. Kids eat at 6 o'clock. Adults, about 6.20, 6.30. But I'd love for you to come if you have the time. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, you're good to us. and Father, we're not good to you so many times. Father, you are so gracious and so merciful. And Father, we are glad that you're just, that you can't overlook sin. Every sin will be dealt with. There's no sin that goes unpunished. No sinner goes unpunished. Each and every one of us, our sin will be dealt with. Either we'll deal with it on our own, as we face you in judgment, or to be dealt with by Christ. Father, I just pray for lost people here, that you would save them, that you would allow them to hear this sweet gospel message again and again and again and again today, ringing loud in their ears. Father, I pray that you would save lost people. Maybe it's lost kids who are in church every week, and their parents are diligent and point them to Jesus. I just pray that you would grant them just open eyes and open ears to hear and understand the gospel. Maybe there's students here who they're hard-hearted and they're callous to you. They just want to live their own lives. Father, I pray that you would, through the sweet message of the gospel, soften their hearts. Maybe there's some adults, and, and there might be people here that come week in and week out, 
and they've been thinking uh, for all these many years that they're a believer, that they've, they've trusted you because of uh, something they did in the past. Or maybe they were baptized or maybe they made some kind of uh, public decision for you. But I just pray that if they're lost, that you would open up their eyes to see that they need to, to embrace Christ. They need to turn from their selfishness. Father, we are thankful as a church that we get to study your word. We're thankful that you've given us your spirit. We're thankful that we've uh, overcome the enemy. You've opened our eyes and ears to hear the truth of the gospel. We haven't been hoodwinked by the lies. And Father, we can go out into the world and we can preach this message. And I pray that you would help us do that this week. For the students, for the, for the elementary school students, I pray that they would be able to speak truth to their classmates, to their teachers. Father, I pray for those in middle school, those in high school, that they would look for opportunities to share the gospel. Lord, not just with students and classmates, but with teachers that are lost. And Father, for us, as we're in the workplace, some of us cutting hair, and we, six, seven, eight hours a day, we just talk to people. Father, may you bring conviction on our hearts and, and use us to speak truth. Those who are on the similar line, we're elbow to elbow with people. We all day long, we have opportunities to talk. I pray that we would make that, uh, take advantage of those opportunities and we would speak truth with our neighbors, with our friends, some in our own family members. May we just be, be bold and, and share the gospel so people can be, so hear the truth and be saved. Thank you for all you do for us, Father. Empower us as we leave. May we leave rejoicing because we've been together. In Jesus' name, amen.